What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I have special guest Christos Rusi on the line today. And this is a cool conversation because Christos was a client of mine. He is now a moderator on DSK, and he's now a coach on DSK, Deeper State Keto. But it's cool because he's come from a similar walk of life that I did with my you know, eating disorders and whatnot. So I'm excited to have him on here because he's worked with lots of people. He kind of sees some of the common trends in the keto community amongst, you know, people on the forums and his clients. So, and my clients, there's a lot of, a lot of common ground here. So it's just cool to have him on here. Christos, how you doing, man? Good. How are you, Robert? Thanks for having me. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. So give the audience a little background kind of on what you've got going on, what got you into the space in the first place and how, how we even met. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's been, a, it's been a long struggle for me. Um, you know, I've, my whole life, I've really had eating disorders. I've had problems with, you know, binge eating and really just trying to figure out my way with food. Um, you know, started as a kid all through kind of teenagers through high school. Um, after college, I, I really started working out a lot more and realized I wasn't I wasn't happy with how I looked um, because although I was working out, I was still binge eating a lot. I would yo-yo diet. I would lose the weight and go low carb. Um, pretty much just got me to the point where, you know, I had reached out to you because I found out that my blood sugar was really high and I was trying to figure out kind of what to do. So that really led me to keto, led me to you and kind of figure out what I could do uh, to be more mindful in eating and just find a way of eating that worked for me. What, I mean, what, what brought you into kind of like your, your, you know, issues with food? Like what was the prerequisite of that? Was there anything that contributed to that or did it just kind of happen, you know, randomly or naturally? It was, it was just natural. Um, there, there was no trigger. It was just always, you know, once I would start um, having high carbs or I would eat a sweet or whatnot, stopping was just difficult for me. Um, and it got to the point where, you know, I was doing it behind the scenes. I was doing it, you know, by myself. Um, I would find myself kind of eating a normal meal, but deep inside, I really wanted more um, from just the sugar cravings. So I would eat, you know, after folks went to bed, I would kind of just hide it from everyone. And I got to the point where it just wasn't sustainable for me. What was the, I mean, is there any particular moment that sticks out as like, wow, I cannot believe that I ate all that food? There, you know, there's so many of them, but I, I think, you know, one is I was away with uh, friends and family. It was, you know, last year um, and we had a, a great, a great night, great dinner uh, and whatnot. Um, but after everyone went to bed, I kind of went downstairs. Uh, we were at our cabin at the time and I just found myself eating cookies and just a lot of food that I shouldn't be eating. And at the same time, I was working out, you know, people were telling me I, I looked good from gaining muscle. But I wasn't happy because I knew that, you know, I, I could look a lot better because I was holding on to so much water weight. It's crazy, like psychologically speaking, why we binge in the first place. Like so much of it is emotionally related, um, you know, like your relationship with food. I don't even know. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with hormonal imbalances. There's, there's so many compounding factors as to why we binge. But like when I was competing uh, initially before I switched over to keto, like it was weird, man. Like I literally had no concept of 
what fullness was, what satiety was, what hunger was. Like I just was living in my head basically. And I have, I was just so disconnected from what my body was trying to tell me. And I would eat so much food, man. Like it, I would make my, ugh, it was just crazy. Like I literally would eat, you know, 10, 20,000 calories in a meal of just the worst food on the planet. You know, those microwavable macho chimichangas, IHOP. I mean, just everything. I'd go buying donuts and I'd eat the whole thing of donuts. Like it was just weird because your body's leptin and ghrelin hormones are so out of whack when you're coming out of a competition like that. I mean, I could eat so much food and I never got that trigger to stop eating. Okay, your body, your body's had enough, you know, close your mouth, but that just does not happen. Absolutely. Yeah. The stopping just, no, <laughs> there was no trigger. Um, for me, you know, I would plan, I, I know that I would probably binge and I would know that the next day I would feel like crap. So I would start planning. For binging. That's kind of where my mind was going towards. Now, mind you, at the same time, you know, I'm working, I, I you know, I have a full-time job, I'm out with clients, um, I'm working out. Um, so on the surface, you know, no one sees it, but for me, I know, Hey, something's wrong. Um, no one should be uh, living this way um, and working out nonstop, so I don't gain a ridiculous amount of weight. Now, I was a little bit larger than I wanted to be, and it was mostly water weight, which I lost very quickly once I kind of went away from uh, that type of eating. But it was it was tough. It's it's very it's emotional. Do you ever like? Did you ever like wind up purging or puking after a binge? Because like you'd you'd binge, or for me at least, I'd binge and I'd feel so I'd just start beating myself up and. I would, I, I tried doing this like four times, I think, where I would try and, you know, force myself to puke after binging and doing that for me, like, it's like, well, okay, I've taken it to a whole nother unhealthy level. Yeah, fortunately I didn't. Um, so I never, I never got into that or never tried to, uh, for me, it would be just an, inst it would be instant sadness. It would be disappointment. And then it would go into, okay, let's figure out what diet is going to get me through this and, you know, help me lose all that, that weight that I, that I still you know, gained quote unquote, because we all know that I really didn't gain the weight. Um, so then I would start going into low carb. I would try fasting, whatever fad diet was out there. I've tried it. Um, I would go most of the week following it, counting my macros, my calories. I was dead on with that. But then that just one day I would completely binge and everything would just kind of start over again. And that cycle has gone on for, I don't know how many years. Do you think like the restrictive aspect of counting the macros is what led to the binges on the weekend? Or do you think it was, I don't know, like, do you think it was like the, the diet itself? Like with all the different fad diets that you tried, what did you learn from like how your body responded to the different, different diets? I think it's the sugar. My my body um, just doesn't do well with sugar or carbs. It, it's that addiction. I'm fine once I don't have it, but when I do, it's just that addictive personality um, where it just doesn't stop. Um, now I've had tests and I've had things you know done since I kind of figured out what was going on with my body. Um, I don't digest sugar well, um, so I am sugar sucrose and fructose intolerant, um, and I just found that out recently. But what was happening was I was not digesting the sugar well. Uh, at the same time, I wasn't releasing the insulin and, you know, going through all that. So my body just wanted more, wanted more, wanted more. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, it's kind of funny, man. Like a lot of people make the argument that counting your macros and being so restrictive is what psychologically screws you over to binge. But I counted macros, you know, very strictly with carbs and I counted macros, I mean, I count macros now very strictly with keto and it is a night and day difference. I don't think counting macros strictly is a standalone, you know, reason 
that leads to binging. I think, like you said, it's more the sugar and addictive personality that is associated that, you know, is triggered by that sugar. Um, for me, like when I switched over to keto and it took a little while, you know, your body has to adapt, but I just felt so much more in tune with, you know, my body and what my hormones are telling me when I was hungry, I ate when I was full, I didn't eat, but being able to tap into what your body actually needs, as opposed to what your, your psychological disorders tell you you need is, is liberating. Absolutely. I mean, the difference between then and now is just, it's crazy the different lifestyle um, that, that I have. You know, when I started keto, um, it was pretty instant in terms of, you know, I lost the water weight, of course, as we all know. But it, it was pretty, um, the way my life changed happened within, I would say, three to four weeks. Um, something clicked in my brain. Um, where I didn't need that sugar. I didn't need those carbs. My body was doing good. I ate when I was hungry. I didn't eat when you know, I wasn't hungry. It's just something completely uh, switched in my brain. Um, my blood sugar went down. You know, so when I started this, I was probably at about a 130 fasted, um, which of course, pre-diabetic is what my doctor was uh, concerned about. Within four weeks, I was down to about 70. So just the change alone um, was so significant. Um, I think, you know, working with you, I think I'd lost about 18 pounds within like the first two to three weeks. Um, and it, it was all water. Weight. My body was just holding on to that water weight. I was just not losing that sugar. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, man. What, what, um, how long were you kind of cycling through like the, the binging and you know, the, the different fat diets, like how long in your life did that happen? I would say it. My, I would say my entire life was the binge eating. But as far as the dieting and really learning nutrition, learning calories, learning macros, I would say fifteen years is probably a good number because I think I was about twenty-one when I really started looking at things and really started to learn about nutrition and macros. Um, so again, yeah, fifteen years of trying. And was that fifteen years? Like, was there any you know high points in there when when you thought you might have been onto something or? Was it pretty much just like let down after let down until you started doing keto? I think it was let down. Well, the high points were the good points were really when I went low carb. So I tried the South Beach diet, if you remember that years ago. Um, when that was big, I did the Atkins. So I always mm-hmm. knew deep down inside that I felt better being low carb. I lost a lot of weight. I was performed better. You know, brain felt better. Um, but then I was brainwashed by thinking, okay, well, you can't build muscle if you don't have carbs. So I would lose the weight and then I would start adding carbs back into my diet to build that muscle because um, that's what I was told I had to do. And then that's when my brain would get foggy again. I wouldn't even – I couldn't even think straight in terms of, okay, obviously you're not feeling good. You know, what's the rationale behind that? I would just start going out of control with the carbon and sugar. I mean, the industry, you're in, man, like your brain function has to be kind of – you know, operating at a high rate because when you're doing pretty intensive work and you're working with clients, you got to be fast on your feet. You can't really afford to see that dwindle to nothing after yeah. a you know heavy carb binge meal. Yeah, you know, I got to the point where it was a strategy. I, I knew that I would I would binge eat. Um, it's like I would schedule it as if it was a meeting. <laughs> I knew that Thursday night I was going to binge. I knew Friday that I'd probably either work from home or have a slower day. Um, I knew during the weekend I probably shouldn't make plans with friends because I probably wouldn't be feeling good. So it got to the point where it all became a schedule and a routine. That's crazy, man. It's, it's crazy to think that you put so much time and energy into scheduling around something negative to make that negativity 
less negative in your life, whereas all you had to really do is switch your diet and remove all that from the equation in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, as I said earlier, no one knew. <laughs> so it wasn't like, you know, everyone says, oh, you know, there's a problem here. I kept it all in because I was working out, you know, um, I was active, I was social, um, both professionally and personally. So on the surface, no one had any idea. I kept it hidden. Uh, even, you know, folks that I was in relationship with didn't know to the extreme of what it was. How, how do you, how do you juggle that? Like when you're in a relationship with someone and you're having, and like you're, you're on the verge of binging or right after binge, like what do you do? Cause I imagine that has to be somewhat of a, like a, an emotional, like it just, it's just, um, almost seen as weakness by others. Like how, how do you even illustrate that to your significant other? Yeah, well, no, of course it's, it's definitely thought of as a weakness. Um, yeah, I got really good at hiding it. <laughs> um, you know, I, the, so anyone that I've ever been with knows that I've always had GI issues. Um, with all everything going on, you know, I've tried the gluten-free thing because I thought that it was gluten that was causing stomach issues. So anyone that has known me, friends or relationships or my family knows that my entire life I've had stomach issues of digestion, of feeling bloated and not feeling good. So it was, the binging was kind of masked with a life, a lifelong uh, feeling of folks knowing I, I feel well. So I was able to mask it that way. Gotcha. Gotcha. What, uh, like what, what are some of the GI issues that kind of dive into that for us? Well, you know, g growing up, I, I just didn't digest things well. So I would always have stomach pain. I would always have bloating. Um, I'd be constipated quite, you know, most of the time. So, um, of course the doctors told me it was IBS. Uh, I think, you know, that's kind of the, the first thing that they always say, Oh, yep, you have IBS. So I tried the restrictive dieting. I tried, you know, eating vegetables, you know, that don't have appeal. I, I tried um, taking the gluten out of my diet. I just tried everything. So for me, it was always being, uh, being, loaded, uh, being constipated and just not adjusting things well, which now I know why, but, you know, I, I didn't know back then, nor, you know, did doctors really help me try and figure it out. It's kind of crazy, man. Like a lot of the things you just described are, I mean, they're common in everyone, but they're much more talked about I mean, it seems like everybody doesn't want to talk about it, but they, they seem more commonly talked about, uh, you know, with females. Males just, like, as a general rule of thumb, males just are prideful and stubborn. They don't want to tell anybody any issues they have, especially when it comes to, like, GI and, you know, eating disorders and binging and whatnot. Um, so, like, when when did you first, like, open up about this? Or have you even yet? This, this might be the first time you've really talked about it openly, especially on a podcast, probably. Um. Well, I think more so when I started working with you, to be honest, um, I, I felt I felt so good after figuring out what was going on with me. I, I started making it a little bit more known on Instagram. So, if, you know, folks who follow me on Instagram, I would I would post regarding binge eating or mindful eating and, you know, whatnot. Um, on the forums for Deeper State Keto, I opened up a lot saying, hey, I, I understand. I have, you know, I have these problems as well. Um, and you know, the, the females would always open up as you mentioned, but I always wanted to make sure that the males knew, Hey, listen, it's okay. It's okay to say, um, I have a, a problem or an eating disorder. Um, I think the first time that I really caught on that I wanted to open up about it was listening to your podcast with Danny Vega. That's when I said, okay, yep, I want to be a part of this. And then mm -hmm. I realized that I want to be part of this group um, that really feels good about talking about things. It's kind of crazy, man. Like, I don't know. I mean, I know why people are so hesitant to talk about it because, like we said earlier, it's seen as a weakness by others. But, I mean, like, it is what it is. Like, a lot of people 
are dealing with it. So just simply having the strength to open up about it, you know, for one, that I mean, when you when you have something that's a secret, and this goes far beyond just eating disorders, but anything in life, if you have a secret or something that you are so emotionally attached to that you don't want to tell anybody about, you don't want anybody to know, then that's like, that is the weakness. Because then there's, for one, there's no way to heal that. But then for two, you know, anybody that finds out, they hold that over you. Um, like if it's like a negative thing, like they hold that over you and, and then they have leverage over you. But if you're the first person to to tell the world and you're like, okay with it, even it's even though it's uncomfortable initially, but if you're like the first person to tell then you remove that ammunition from anybody's hands. Like, like what, what are they going to say? You know, you got any sort of, yeah, I told you about it. It's on my podcast, you know? So yeah. simply doing that for one removes that leverage. But then for two, People aren't negative about it. Like they're not going to hold it over you. They're going to come out of the woodwork to support you and say, oh, wow, yeah, the same thing happened to me. I'm going through the same struggle myself. What did you do to, you know, overcome that? And then before you know it, you've got a freaking, you know, group behind you. Camaraderie is there and you're able to recover from that. And that alone is the therapy that allows you to get past it and, and no longer be a weakness to you. Oh, absolutely. No, I was going to say there's just a lot of people that fall into those categories that are slowly starting to talk about it um, more, more and more, especially um, with the males and, you know, the, the, the bodybuilders and whatnot. There's a lot more people that have that issue. I think that you're going to start seeing more folks talking about it because it's no longer just, you know, uh, the stereotype of it being a female. Yeah, for sure. And it's really prevalent in like the bodybuilding space and you figure competitors, bikini competitors, because they, I mean, a lot of people from all different industries and walks of life struggle with this, but with the competitors, like it's such an opposite end of the spectrum scenario that it makes it like the, the negatives seem to be, you know, much higher reaching and the, the highs and lows seem to be peaking at higher levels because there's so much, you know, spectrum there. I mean, if you're a competitor and you get everything dialed in and you're like seen as this ideal picture of health and you know, discipline and, and hard work, which you are, you know, like, like you've worked hard to stand on stage to so be proud of that. But like to then go from that and transition to having this eating disorders, not having control, not being disciplined enough. It's just like such an opposite in the spectrum scenario. And it just amplifies the negativity, even if it's only in your own mind. But yeah, man, it's crazy. And it's sad. Like for me as a competitor, I really want to just be as vocal about it as I can, shout it from the rooftops, because I want other competitors to see that you know I'm being open with it, so that they can you know then recover. Because it, it's a sad reality, man. Like you see, competitors work so hard to reach a goal and reach that goal, and then totally fall off the deep end afterwards, and just not even be able to recover from that. Sometimes, emotionally speaking, and getting depressed, like it's it's sad, you know. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. Um, I know how difficult it is for me and I'm just your average guy. <laughs> I can't imagine, you know, putting all of your time on competing and getting to that that point and then, you know, uh, dealing with the eating disorder on top of that. You know, the aftermath after that competition is over. Um, I, I can't imagine that. Um, that, that. That has to be difficult. It is for sure. For sure. I, I remember one time we're totally going off in the deep end, like little stories, side stories here, but after my first competition, I was, I was at home, uh, like the week after or so. And I was eating, had dinner, I had lunch with my family. And then I'm, they all leave and go to their, you know, go work or go, go to their room or whatever they're, they're doing. It's like the weekend. And I'm sitting at the table by myself and I'm like, everybody's full. I should be full. I ate more than everybody in the first place. Anyways, I should be full. 
What am I doing right now? I walked to the pantry, grabbed like an entire container of Jif peanut butter and an entire like box, not just one single sleeve, but a box of four sleeves of saltine crackers and ate the entire thing. I mean, and then I walked into my dad's room and I'm like, dad, I don't know if I should be full or hungry right now. And he just looked at me like that was a weird question. Like, what, what the hell are you talking about, son? Do you, are you hungry or are you full? And uh, I don't know, like people that haven't struggled with that, they just, there's such a disconnect there. But people that have know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it's just, I don't know, like I feel like the more people talk about it, the more people you can relate with. And then there's a light at the end of the tunnel and you can realize that there is a way and, then it, and there is a cure and there's something that can be done, you know, to, to reach the other side. Yeah, you know, people look at you, you know, they look at, you know, um, your body and what you look like from competing and just working out all the time. And they can't connect the dots that someone like that can also have a problem um, or someone that actually has to work so much harder to keep that weight down because they also have an eating disorder. People that don't understand the feeling of not knowing when to stop can't connect those two things. Yeah, it's. I don't know, man, it, it's interesting to see how, you know, your emotional relationship with food, your psycholog psychological thought process around it all ties in with your physical acts of eating, training, uh, and the combination of all the above. Just share this symbiotic relationship. So you have to kind of cure it from the, you know, in, inside internally before you can manifest that physically. Um, I don't know, man, it's, it's interesting for sure, but I'm glad that we're having this conversation, you know, like after I first was open about it with Danny Vega on that podcast, that wasn't the first time I don't think, but that, that one got a lot of positive feedback. And for me, you know, I get emails, I got so many emails after that, that podcast and everybody was like, wow, I'm so glad you were open about this because now I, I think that I can do the same thing. I can, you know, find hope and, and figure things out and move forward. So I'm, I'm excited to have you on here because you're not a competitor, you know, like you said, you're you're, you're training, you're eating, I mean, you're, but you're not competing and stepping on stage. So to have you have this platform to share your story, I mean, that's the more people it resonates with, the more people that can see that they're not alone, the better. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, I, the average guy, I work a lot um, and I eat a lot and I eat a lot. Um, now I eat a lot, but within reason and w within what works for me. Um, so I, I'm definitely, I definitely hope that people listen to this. They realize, you know, there's a lot of different levels of eating disorders um, and how how folks deal with it and what a eating disorder actually is. Um, and it could just be the lack of knowing when to stop or why you don't know when to stop. And that was the biggest thing for me was I knew what I was doing was wrong the minute I started eating, you know, parts or whatever it was that I was eating. Um, but I didn't care um, because I had that addiction. I needed to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I don't know, like the whole short term philosophy and way of thinking just manifests itself so negatively there. If you kind of like learn to approach things with much more of a long term approach and, and know that, okay, this is not going to move me any closer to my overall goal, then you can kind of see things more rationally. But it's, it's always pretty difficult in the time for sure. No, I was going to say, when you get to the point that you figure it out and you start seeing a more level set, uh, path for yourself, you know, for the first time ever, I'm actually out of maintenance. Um, I can't, I've never, I've never been able to say I'm at maintenance. I've gone through, um, a protocol where I lost, you know, the weight I wanted to lose and I reverse dieted appropriately back to what I think is my maintenance. 
Um, I've never been able to do that in my life. And for once, I'm not saying, okay, I need to diet. I need to lose weight. Um, yeah, sure. I'll probably go through the protocol again to cut down a little bit. Um, but now I, I'm doing it just because I want to rather than I have to. Yeah, that's, that's huge, man. I mean, that allows you to free up so much time and thought process to, you know, allocate that towards other areas of your life that you want to improve on. Like when you know you have the tools and you know that you can reach whatever goal you have physically you know, through nutrition, then you're just so much more freed up to focus on other things that you need to in life like your business or career or whatever. Absolutely. What have you noticed? Actually, before I ask that question, when you were working with me, you know, kind of going through the cutting protocol, what were some of the the highs and lows? Like what was the most challenging aspect of that? Because a lot of people, again, you know, they associate the way I work with other competitors and if they're not a competitor, you know, they don't think they'd be able to, yada, yada, yada. But you know, like, like I said earlier, you're not a competitor and you saw amazing results. And this isn't for me to boast about my coaching by any means, but I want you to talk about for you having gone through eating disorders and then had a goal in your mind of how to reach a goal or how to reach a, you know, physical look. What was the hardest transition there? What was the, the, the sticking point? Great question. Um, so I've always done low carb. So I understood ketosis. I understood what keto meant. Um, but it was the first time I was actually doing full blown keto known to me as keto. Um, I, I wouldn't say that it was my first time ever going into it because I understood, I understood the electrolytes and I understood, you know, all of that. But I think that the hardest part for me at first during the cutting protocol with you was staying keto. That was the biggest thing. Um, and anyone that's, you know, done coaching with you, you're very low carb. Um, that was the hardest part was for me to understand how am I going to do that low carbs for such a long time and changing my mindset of, well, how am I, I'm not going to build muscle. I'm going to lose muscle. So I think that was the, the hardest part for me. It wasn't as much the restriction of calories because I've, I've been used to that and I've done that before. It was starting on a journey that was now becoming a new way of eating. So it was more the mental portion of it. It is kind of crazy, man. Like you tell people that you're going to eat 10 grams of carbs, total carbs, not net carbs for the next three, four or five months. Like that just sends up an automatic red flag and they just assume that it's not healthy and they can't do it and that they're going to lose all their muscle and this will never work. But as soon as you do that and you get, you know, deeply adapted into ketosis and you kind of see what the light of the end of the tunnel actually looks like and feels like, then you're pretty highly motivated to continue that because you realize how much of a difference it makes. It took me four weeks. Honestly, I think after week four, I was all in. And I think I remember messaging you and I was like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> I'm sold. Got it. Yeah. But at that point, I had lost so much weight, um, you know, so much water weight and I felt so good. And I don't know if you remember, I was actually going on a cruise <laughs> and I kept, I kept messaging mm -hmm. you five more weeks till the cruise. Like, you know, hey, let's make sure you know, we, we lose this weight because at that point it was all about the weight loss for me. Like it, it was prior, but when week four started, it was no longer about weight loss. It was, I was feeling good and you know, at the scale, I didn't care. Um, <clears throat> going back to your previous question regarding what was difficult, it was the fluctuation in the scale. Um, mentally, I would see that few pounds dip upwards, few pounds dip downwards. And my advice that I give people now that are going through it is don't look at the scale, do the measurements, you know, figure out how you feel in the clothes that you, that you were wearing, 
um, don't look at the numbers on a scale. I think that was the second hardest thing for me at first. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think having that data is, is good. Like I encourage my clients to weigh in and give me that scale number, but not to judge their success by that scale number, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, I, me- I remember when you were on that cruise, though, man. That was a cool moment for me because I could tell when that when you sent me that message that you were looking at this much more like a holistic perspective of, okay, this is not worth just binging on carbs during this cruise because I feel so much better now. That's the thing, man. Like people go on these crash course diets to f- to look really good for a specific event. All right, this this is a weird scenario. I don't understand why people think like this, but they they do this short term cut to look good for an event. Then they go on this event that they put so much emphasis in, whether it be like a family vacation or like a cruise or a wedding or whatever. And then they just go berserk, ballistic, eat all kinds of shit while they're there, drink all kinds of alcohol. And then they feel and look terrible at the event. It's like you did all this work for this specific event just to throw it all out the window during the event. Like why? You know, that's why if you just focus on like the long game, you know, what's going to, what are you, you going to have to eat to feel better and look better? And then you just ride that through the event that you're trying to peak for in the first place. And you're going to be able to enjoy that moment so much more. It's going to be more of a positive memory than, oh yeah, you remember that time we went on vacation to Spain and I ate so much bread that I was in the hotel room the entire time. Like that's not worth it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't know, man. It's, it's people's thought process. It's a funny thing for sure. Oh, at the same time, when, you know, talking about that whole cruise, it's funny because I remember sending you a picture of, you know, I, I sent you my weekly progress pictures or whatnot, and I did a side-by-side, and in like five weeks, you know, just the, the difference in how my body looked due to all that water weight kind of going down, um, just my back alone, you know, I was like, wow, I knew I knew I had the muscle there. Um, it was just hidden, um, and it wasn't because I gained all that muscle in four or five weeks, you know, I was on a cut. Um, it was just because you were able to see that muscle more. That was another reason where I said, okay, I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to go back to where I was because I'm now starting to see what I've been working hard on. Yeah, 100%, man, 100%. What have you noticed like just commonalities or trends or pattern recognition, you know, in in working with people and being on the forums? Like, you know, you being on the forum, I mean, I've got a, I've got a few moderators on the DSK forum and, and y'all are like freaking top notch but you know you hear and see a lot of people you know interact with a lot of people you kind of see what some common mistakes are amongst people on the keto diet what what are some of the common trends that you see trying to <laughs> great question and i'm sure a lot of people won't like my answer but that's okay um I, I think it is trying to create a recipe for something that's not keto to be keto so rather than focusing on basic foods, keto foods, and trying to hit your macros, they're trying to make a recipe that or a keto treat that is, you know, going to satisfy them. So in my, my opinion, and, you know, don't shoot the messenger here, but I think people are focusing too much on the foods rather than hitting their macros and eating the basic keto foods. Yeah, I agree. I think... And there's like a transition that comes along with that. I remember like when I first got on the diet, I was just familiar with all the carb-based foods. So I was trying to find a keto substitute for that food. But that's just what I was familiar with. So, I mean, I was eating, you know, like like I was baking a lot of stuff, like baking a lot of the keto desserts that are, you know, lookalikes for carb desserts. And you do that and it's just not what keto is supposed to be and meant to be. And if that's like 
a, a, a way to make the transition more feasible for you. And if that's like a stepping stone and that gets you into keto in the first place, then great. But at least for me, once I did that for enough time, you know, I would kind of phase that out and just stick with more of the, you know, traditional true keto foods, like quality ingredients. Um, and then I just like, okay, I don't need all that fancy stuff. Like I don't feel as good after it. Like I can feel a difference when I eat, you know, a whole bunch of nut butters or like almond flour or sucralose or sweeteners of any kind. Now I just keep it simple, eat the whole foods. And that like the, the, the positive feeling that I get from that and the uptick in performance that I get from that far exceeds any, you know, simple high of eating a keto-fied cheesecake or something. Agreed. And, you know, it's, I, I do it sparingly. You know, I, I have that cheesecake or keto treat. Um, I know myself, I try and stay away from anything that's uh, a sweets just because I know how I am with that. Um, but more importantly, you know, I, people just do it too much. It shouldn't be this big keto type recipe meal for everything every time that you eat. Um, keep, you know, basic foods as well. When, especially when starting out a cut, you know, because probably the, the weighing and the tracking and the logging is not always going to be 100% accurate, unfortunately. Um, so I think folks are digesting a lot more carbs than they think they are because they're trying to get fancy with their recipes. Finding food entries tracker is difficult. Um, and unless it's, you know, your typical USDA whole food or whatnot, once you start putting, you know, 11, 12 ingredients into a recipe, I can assure you not every one of those entries is going to be accurate in your tracker. Yeah. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. I'm glad you said that too. Like a lot of people just trying to get too fancy with it. And like, I understand wanting some variety in your meals. Like you don't ever want to feel like you're deprived or depleted from you know, the foods you love. But at the same time, if you're really wanting to dial things in for a, you know, cut, I mean, a, a cut in the grand scheme of things is not that long. I mean, that's a very short window of time. So I personally think that optimizing for that and doing everything you can to mitigate any errors along the way and reaching that goal sooner is better than trying to like, you know, tiptoe into it, have a little here, have a little there, and then just prolonging the time that it takes you to reach that goal in the first place. And keeping the, the meals consistent and just removing that as a variable is probably one of the best ways to make that happen. Absolutely. What about um, offboarding, man? Like we, we talk, we call it offboarding in DSK, but basically the whole th concept of, you know, dieting in the first place. A lot of people, and I'm curious to get your take on this, but, you know, so many people live in a chronic caloric deficit and that for one, screws up their metabolism, screws up their hormones, screws up their psychological relationship with food, and it leads to the binge or binge, you know, eating that we talked about earlier. But they're so afraid to consume more calories, and then you know, there's just so much confusion around how many calories you need. Do calories matter? You know, should I eat more? Should I eat less? So just kind of let's dive into that because I think that is something that just is an unknown, and it's just unhealthy right now. I, I think, you know, what I'm starting to see, because uh, I think that the folks that went through the first round of DSK, they're, they're now in offboarding and they're having a hard time understanding what maintenance is. Um, I, I think two things are happening. One is they're getting to their goals and then they're going back to eating normal, which you and I both know there's a reason you need to taper, you know, back up slowly and do reverse dieting. So I think they're skipping that um, and they're they're getting back to eating the way they were before they met their goal. So that's the first mm -hmm. part. 
The second part is I think folks just don't understand what their maintenance is. And they're a little overwhelmed and afraid that by bringing their calories back up to maintenance level, they're going to gain all the way back. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is kind of a scary thing. Like you finally reach your goal and you see what you had to do to get there. I mean, like who wants to gain any fat back? I think that's why it's really important to not necessarily, I mean, you don't want to be obese or overly fat by any means, but like <laughs> your body has fat on it for a reason. Like there's a reason you're not walking around at 3% body fat year round. Like there's a benefit to having that fat. Um, and, and kind of having like a cyclical approach to whether you're in a building phase or a cutting phase or even a maintenance phase is important because then if you if you can recognize the reason for that phase, it makes you okay with a lot of the, you know, the byproduct of being in that phase, aka like if I'm built, bulking, trying to build muscle, I need to be okay with having a little bit more fat on me than if I'm trying to like step on stage and compete at 3% body fat. Like you can't do one indefinitely plus when you do yeah. cycle them like that it makes the effect it it, it you know really kind of optimizes you know each phase as you go into it like if i'm bulking my body's gonna be more response responsive to a cut when i transition into a cut and vice versa um basically kind of you're tricking your body and it's gonna make it more responsive um so having that relationship and being okay with each cycle is, is key. And very few people look at it like that, I think. Yeah, I think you said it best. Um, you have to decide which route you want to go. Um, if you want to cut, then cut and meet your goals there. If you want to build muscle, then, you know, you're gonna, you have to be comfortable with potentially, you know, bulking up and gaining a little bit of weight. I think it all comes down to uh, your mental understanding of what's going to happen. I think once you set your goals and you understand what comes with it, it makes it that much easier. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that kind of goes back to looking at your nutrition and your, you know, physical fitness with kind of more of a long game, like having, having that long game approach to it and like wondering what your, you know, overall all goal is, you know, health, longevity, health span, lifespan. Uh, but then also knowing that you have to kind of, you know, manipulate that on a shorter term throughout that process to make that process more sustainable. Um, it really, I mean, it saddens me to see people that have just chronically eaten too few of calories or too much calories, you know, over the course of years and years and years without any kind of, you know, manipulation or adjustment. And they don't know why their body's not changing. And it's because their body's like fighting back with everything that you, you know, put into it. Yeah. So what's next for you, man? What's the what's on the horizon for Christos? What are you excited about now? I am excited um, to stay at maintenance for a while. Um, you know, originally you and I had talked about bulking up, um, and I, I wanted to kind of do the experiment with you that that you're doing. But I'm kind of happy with where I'm at for right now, just because it's the first time that I've been able to appreciate mindful eating and being. Um, at, at a place where I can continue on without having those ups and downs. So I think I'm going to do that for a little bit. Um, then I'm, I'm going, I, I want to bulk up a little bit more, um, and try the bulk up, upping my calories a little bit more without the binging. So for me, every experiment going forward now is keeping on, 
uh, the whole eating disorder and binging piece because it's not just just you know non keto foods either. It's just the volume. So I want to make sure that I can sustain where I'm at now with adding more volume um, to my nutrition. Yeah, hundred percent, man. And there's it's kind of funny. Like there's a you know hardships and pros and cons to cutting, and the same holds true to bulking. Like there's like there's there's pluses and minuses to both sides for sure. Um, and like when you're bulking, like some people have like such a flawed view of what that should look like as well. And they do like a dirty bulk and they just eat crap the whole time because they're trying to get excess calories in. But that's obviously not a healthy or sustainable approach either. Like you have to have you know, just as much mindfulness towards what your macros are and where those foods are coming from because quality matters whether you're trying to bulk or cut. Agreed. I think, you know, outside of me personally, where I'm really focusing my time right now, um, outside of my professional career is really helping others. So, you know, I was flattered when you asked me to kind of coach and to help uh, the DSK folks. And I'm hoping that I can teach others and help others with, you know, what I learned Um, and taking the humble approach, you know, trusting one another and and really building the relationship to help uh, that individual meet their goals. So, you know, now that I'm kind of plateauing in terms of where where I want to be and things are kind of just working itself, you know, I want to focus on helping others. That's cool, man. Paying it forward. I I love it. I love it. That's that's the reason I podcast in the first place, man, just kind of pay it forward and hopefully reach somebody else that has a question or an itch or they just don't know. you know, being able to touch them with this information and have it have a positive impact on their life. I mean, you doing that as a moderator, as a coach, you know, putting out content on Instagram, anything and everything you do to help share your story and, you know, resonate with somebody else and help them move in the right direction, man, that's, it doesn't get any more fulfilling than that. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I love it. You know, I'm always one that gets a lot of satisfaction from helping others. That's the way to do it, man. Well, where can people go to find out more about you, bud? Uh, Instagram. So you can follow me on Christos Keto on Instagram. Um, I'm starting to post more content. Um, of course, you know, through deeper state, deeper state keto, um, my, my coaching bio is up there as well. Um, so they can learn a little bit more about me through my bio, but also on Instagram. Very cool, man. Well, I will link out to those. Anybody that, uh, you know, wants to work with you as a, as a client coach or, you know, hit you up on the forums or hit you up on Instagram, man. I mean, you know your stuff. You work with me directly. Uh, I'll vouch for you 100%, brother. I appreciate it. You are the real deal, man. I, the best thing I did was to find you. Um, and I appreciate all the content you put out there and sharing your story, you and Crystal's story, you know, for all to see. Hey, man, that, that means the word to me. Like, literally, feedback like that is, is why I stay motivated to keep doing it because that's what it's all about. Well, Crystal Spain, until... Uh, I message you later tonight on Slack, I'm sure. Um, I'll, I'll talk to you soon, brother. Sounds good, Robert. It's a pleasure as always. You bet, man. Take care, buddy.